Hello and welcome to another edition of the Power Sweep Podcast presented by North Coast Sports. Once again, I'm Antonio Castro joined by Chris Van Dyne. Uh, going to get into uh, about six games this weekend uh, on the college football slate. Before we get into that, though, just want to congratulate everybody that was a part of our NFL Game of the Month weekend uh, last weekend. Another winner on the NFL top side selection. The NFL top side selection now 4-0 and this year. Perfect. Uh, we won our four-star again in our Power Sweep newsletter. That Power Sweep newsletter four-star pick in college is 4-1 and one this year. Underdog play is gone. Back-to-back outright upset winners. If you haven't renewed your Power Sweep subscription for next year yet, I'd advise you to do so as early as possible because right now you can get next year's newsletter for just $69 emailed that will be going up here in the next few weeks. So if you haven't subscribed to uh, Power Sweep next year for or, yeah Power Sweep for next year, it's just $69. If you still haven't subscribed this year to the newsletter, it's just $79. What are you waiting for? Uh, winners galore all throughout the uh, Power Sweep newsletter. And uh, just uh, for just to let you know as well, this weekend uh, we do have a special. You can get all of our uh, late phone side selections on Saturday as well as our Sunday late phone selections and five marquee selections during the week, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday for as low as $79. All you got to do is give us a call at 1-800-654-3448 or go online to our website, ncsports.com, and check out those specials there. All right, now let's get into uh, this week's action. We've got uh, some good games highlighted. We're going to start off on the East Coast and uh, talk about Boston College and North Carolina State. We're going to go to the West Coast and talk about Utah against Stanford. Stanford, uh, and then we'll have a take a look at a couple of Midwest battles: Iowa State versus Oklahoma State, Nebraska uh, against Wisconsin. Our Group of Five matchup for uh, this weekend is going to be uh, with the Commander in Chief Trophy in, uh, on the line. Well, not on the line, but a, a big game that determines uh, the winner of that. Uh, Commander-in-Chief Trophy, usually year-in and year-out Navy and Air Force, and then we're going to do a special uh, giveaway at the end of the at the end of uh, this podcast with uh, one of these selections in this week's Power Sweep issue. Don't I won't give that away until we actually get to that selection. But first and foremost, let's uh, get started off on the East Coast. We're going to look at this Boston College versus NC State matchup. Boston College comes in with a four and one record, three and two against the spread. NC State ranked ranked in the top 25, number 23. They're undefeated, 4-0, both uh, straight up and against the spread. I think the main question that we have in this game, Chris, is the fact uh, about A.J. Dillon, the stud running back for Boston College, injured his ankle. He's got 652 rushing yards already this year, averaging over six yards a carry. Uh, how is that ankle? And uh, after replacing four defensive line starters, uh, how real is NC State's run D? I mean, they've looked pretty good shutting down Georgia State and Marshall, but they didn't. But uh, which doesn't impress me all that well, Chris. But they did hold Virginia to just 3.2 yards per carry, which that actually did impress me. So a team that has four four brand new defensive line starters against Boston College, all five returning starters coming back in the trenches. I would think that Boston College would have that advantage, but NC State been playing pretty well. And then if, if A.J. Dillon can't go, uh, notice Ben Glines was was the guy who was the replacement last week. He had 120 yards. I'm assuming he's going to be the starter. Uh, Chris, you know, what can you tell us about A.J. Dillon? What can you tell us about this NC State run defense? And you know what? 
don't you give us a little bit of tidbits about Ben Glines as well? Well, the backup for Boston College, Ben Glines, uh, is a converted wide receiver. That He's not your typical converted wide receiver, you think, small, shifty. He's a bigger physical guy, 6'2", 220, dangerous runner and catches out of the backfield. Did have 120 yards last week. Uh, so he's a guy that's played for them in the past and has had some success. But another guy I want you to look out for, though, is true freshman David Bailey. I was uh, reading head coach Steve Adazio talking about how he wants to get Bailey involved in this offense, regardless of whether Dylan plays or not. And this kid's a big boy, 240 pounds, could be even heavier. Uh, Adazio is very high on him. So expect David Bailey to see some action in this game. And possibly, uh, you know, split some carries with Glines if Dylan isn't ready to go. You'd feel much more comfortable if Dylan is ready to go. Uh, you mentioned the NC State defensive line against that uh, Boston College offensive line. It's one of the two key matchups I've got circled in this game. That offensive line for Boston College, all five starters back against a rebuilt NC State defensive line. They have been impressive, but the teams they've been impressive against haven't really been running the ball all that well. Virginia's run it okay, but mostly against weaker rundies. Uh, Latrell Murchison has been their best performer so far, and they've only allowed 104 uh, yards per game and 3.5 yards per carry. But uh, I think that Boston College has the edge in the trenches on offense uh, versus that defensive line. The other key matchup to me is Ryan Finley, who everyone knows is an NFL prospect, 69% completions, 8-to-1 ratio. Three out of four games he's gone over 100, uh, 300 yards this year. In this game last year, he was only 13 for 32, 146 yards and in an interception. So Boston College has his number. Boston College brings the number 13 pass efficiency defense. They only allow 54% completions. They've intercepted eight eight passes versus only allowing six touchdowns. So uh, I've got the edge there for Boston College as well. And Adazio's good as an underdog. 10-2 and is an away dog. So I like Boston College here. I think they pull the upset, upset win regardless of whether Dillon plays. But I'd like it a heck of a lot more if A.J. Dillon's in that lineup. Once again, good stuff from, uh, obviously, Chris Van Dyne, who, who handles uh, the ACC and the SEC, uh, along with uh, CUSA here at North Coast Sports for us. And i got to agree with you, Chris. I mean, not only that, uh, Boston College, they've covered four out of the last five uh, in, this, uh, in this ACC battle. So expect Boston College to do good things. I'm looking at the lines right now, and actually uh, it's, it's leaning a little bit uh, more so if you're back in Boston College. It opened up at about four. And right now we're looking at four and a half. It's even at five, according to Westgate's current line. So uh, the, it's gone up a point, half a point to a point, not much. But at least you're getting more than what you were getting early in the week. So, again, uh, Boston College, we expect them uh, to be able to handle that line and wouldn't be surprised at the outright upset. All right, let's go on and uh, talk, go from one coast to the other coast, uh, east to the west. I'm talking about, of course, Utah uh, comes in with an even record of 2-2, two and two, just 1-2-1 one, and one against the spread, uh, going on the road to the farm, taking on number 14-ranked Stanford off a tough loss last week, their first loss of the season, now 4-1 and one on the year, 3-2 and two against the Vegas line, and, a, and, a, and similar to the Boston College versus NC State game, 
This game has question marks at the running back position as well with Stanford running back Bryce Love. Uh, just hasn't been healthy pretty much all season. Again, injured his ankle last week in Notre Dame. There was no line early on in the week uh, when this uh, when the lines initially came out. There is one now. We'll get into that uh, here very, very shortly. But uh, I got to tell you, Chris, when I'm I'm looking at this game and I'm looking at Stanford, and I know they're ranked number 14 and they're 4-1, and, one and, and uh, obviously David Shaw is a, is a tremendous head coach. But, you know, just two weeks ago they were extremely 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 fortunate uh to win at oregon those of you who stayed up late for that game i mean oregon was about to go up by i believe four touchdowns they had a, a, a call go there against them uh going in for the touchdown and then the very next play the snap went over the quarterback's head and it was returned for a touchdown that led stanford uh had all the motivation going in stanford's way and they went on to win that game uh but you know other than uh, the other thing i look at is stanford is, uh, you know, the last two games, I mean, going back to that game against Oregon and then, of course, last week against Notre Dame, they've been out game by nearly 450 yards their last two games. Uh, I like Stanford's quarterback, K.J. Costello. However, Utah, this is going to be the best pass defense he's probably going to see all year. Utah has our number four ranked pass efficiency defense. Uh, Utah running back Zach Moss rushed for 1,100 yards this year, uh, last year. He's physical. You know, this guy Moss, you wouldn't know it. He, he had the second most broken tackles in the FBS last year. Bet you didn't know that. Stanford has allowed back-to-back 100-yard rushing games from opposing running backs. I like Utah to handle this, uh, handle this game, uh, at least cover the line. Uh, Chris, what do you think? Well, the first thing I notice is that Stanford has played a brutal schedule in the last few weeks. This is their third really tough game in a row. You know, you get Oregon and Notre Dame, and now you get to come into a physical Utah team with big 300-pounders in their defensive line and a, a tough offensive line. They always have it in the trenches. Utah's off a bye two weeks ago, so they come in a little bit fresher. Uh, they, they played Washington State last week in a close game, but they've had a little more rest and recovery uh, the other thing is, what happened to Stanford's running game? Aside from Bryce Love, you, you know he's been banged up, but only 94 rushing yards a game, 3.4 yards a carry. You expect a little more from that Stanford uh, run game. And Utah's stout in the run game, a run D, only allowing 84 yards a game, 2.6 yards per carry. Uh, Chase Hansen leads the team with 34 tackles. He's all over the field, eight tackles for loss. Uh, including two sacks and an interception. He helps in the pass game. Uh, held Washington to uh, Utah held Washington to season low 327 yards a few weeks ago. So I, I feel like this Utah defense is going to keep this game close. I know they're getting some points here. Uh, Whittingham, another coach, is very good as a dog. Ten and two is as an away dog. I'm sorry, ten and two is a just an underdog in, in general. So I, I think that Utah keeps this one closer than the line. Yeah, and right now that line is uh, sitting about five, five and a half right now. So we think uh, Utah can easily hang within uh, Stanford. You uh, feel goal game either way, but, you know, again, well, we like Utah to, to cover that line here regardless of uh, if Bryce Love does play or not. Okay, enough about that game. Let's go to the Midwest, uh, go to the Big 12. You got Iowa State, just one and three so far this year, two and two against the spread, taking on the number 25 ranked team in the country, Oklahoma State. Uh, who is four and one, both straight up and against the spread. But I got to tell you, I mean, Iowa State, they're a one and three team. Their defense is just tremendous. I mean, one of the best defenses in all in all of the uh, the FBS. Uh, big question mark for Iowa State. And again, 
similar to the first two games we talked about with this running back uh, injuries. David Montgomery, who actually led the FBS in broken tackles last year, you know, he's been dealing with this injured arm. And I just read uh, today, Chris, that this injury that knocked him out of the last game against TCU, it's actually something that he that affected him his very first carry of the game in a, in a game that didn't even count when the Iowa State's opener was uh, was canceled and postponed uh, due to the effects of uh, thunderstorms. So get that. The, their main weapon is hurt in a game that didn't even count. He's been battling through it and battling through it. It's a deep bruise uh, in his upper arm, but uh, it's really been affecting him, and it really affected him uh, last week. If he can't go now, there's a couple of guys that Iowa State's been using out of the backfield. Uh, not really this year or last year, but there is some guys that they do have. They they do have a lot of faith in them. Sheldon Crony, he's a physical guy along the, the mold of a David Montgomery. And then they have Johnny Lang, Johnny Long. He's that change of pace running back. He's a home run threat. This guy was originally going to go to Florida State before he got into some legal trouble out of high school. So the talent is there. Uh, and and don't forget about a guy like by the name of Mike Warren. If you haven't heard that name in a while, is it it's a reason why. I mean, he was the Big 12 Freshman Player of the Year in 2015. He, this guy had 1,300 rushing yards. But when David Montgomery came on the scene, they kind of shifted Mike Warren to the background. And as a matter of fact, he hasn't even seen the field yet this year. But if Montgomery can't go, I expect to see Mike Warren out there. He is practicing. He's not, uh, you know, on the uh, on the coach's naughty list or anything like that. So uh, I think it's a guy that is also physical, big, like Montgomery. So I, between him and Sheldon Crony, you're going to have that physical running back there. And then Johnny Long, again, going to be the change of pace guy. Zeb Nolan, the quarterback for Iowa State, for Iowa State who took over. Uh, a couple of weeks into the season for Kyle Kempt when he was out at his worst game of the year as far as from a yardage standpoint last week, just 79 yards. Remember, it was against TCU defense. They, they're ranked number six in our pass efficiency defense. Oklahoma State, uh, no one's going to have much more success through the air. Oklahoma State counters with our number 73 ranked pass efficiency D. Um, and, and I like the Cyclones defense matching up with Taylor Cornelius. Uh, while he is a senior, a redshirt senior for Oklahoma State, he does not have a lot of experience. Uh, I think they're going to force him to be the person to beat them because they're going to stack the box against Justice Hill, and they're not going to allow him to run the ball as much. And when you look at Taylor Cornelius, it's a guy who who completed just 47% of his passes versus Texas Tech. So if you bring pressure to him, if you force him to beat you, I think that's where Oklahoma State has problems, and I think that's where Iowa State can keep this game closer than the Vegas experts think. Well, I know that Iowa State has a heck of a defense, like you mentioned. They've held three of their last four opponents to their season low in yards, including against TCU and Iowa. They're number nine on defense, holding opponents to 118 yards per game below their average. So they're bringing it every game. And they've actually improved from last year's numbers. They had a good defense last year, giving up 333 yards a game, 20 points a game. I'm sorry, that last year they gave up 366 yards per game and 21 points a game. This year they've actually lowered that to 333 yards a game and 20 points a game. So they've improved a little bit off an already strong season on defense. Key for Iowa State on offense will be handling Oklahoma State's pressure. Already 22 sacks for Oklahoma State. Iowa State's only allowed eight, so it's a pretty decent offensive line for Iowa State. They've got three starters back from last year. Uh, Iowa State 7-3 and three is an away dog, another team that's done well. Also done well on a road, 5-1 and one against the spread on the Big 12 road. So I'm with you. I think Iowa State can keep this game close. 
Matt Campbell, one of the most underrated coaches in all of the FBS. And that number you said about the sacks with Oklahoma State, I wanted to uh, touch on that real quick, Chris, before we move on to the next game. I believe that leads the FBS in sacks. They've really, really, really been productive under new defensive coordinator Knowles, who, of course, came over from Duke. Right now, that line's at double digits. It's at 10. So uh, there's no way I feel that Oklahoma State can beat Iowa State by by double digits in this game. I think Iowa State keeps this game much closer, uh, as uh, uh, suggested earlier. All right, staying in the Midwest, Big Ten battle, a team that has uh, under, under, well, has not lived up to what their fans would think and hasn't gone off, got off to this kind of start that many across the country would expect uh, with Coach Frost coming back to, to, of course, the place where he graduated, Nebraska, 0-4, both straight up and against the spread, uh, going to Madison, taking on the number 16-ranked Badgers, uh, Wisconsin coming in 3-1 and one, uh, straight up, just 1-3 and three against the spread, though. So something's got to give spread-wise for this game. Of course, these two teams battle for the Freedom Trophy. Um, Nebraska trying to change their culture all around after, uh, you know, the head coaching change, but you may be, if you watch this game, you may be watching the most undisciplined team in the nation based on the penalties because they just have double-digit penalties for about 130 to 150 yards every single game so far this year. So I don't know if it's uh, kind of like a, just players. There was a lot of players that transferred out of there before the season started, and now the rest of them that are there, uh, maybe just being a little bit too aggressive, and Scott Frost is very perturbed at that. Uh, the thing when I look at this matchup, though, when you, when you, you know, on paper, you got Wisconsin, the best offensive line in the nation, of course, one of the top running backs in the country with Jonathan Taylor, and you got a Nebraska team that struggles against the run. Uh, it, when I'm looking at Wisconsin and, and the fact that they're just one and three against the spread, you know, that doesn't concern me because usually uh, Wisconsin fails to cover the spread in early season home games, which they've done so far this year. Their first three home games, they, they usually do struggle uh, against that Vegas line. So now that they've got some games under their belt, they took that road trip, got a nice win at at, uh, at Kinnick Stadium there in Iowa, come back home. I believe you'll see a rejuvenated Wisconsin Badger team that can get a line, get ahead of that line in this one. Uh, also fresh off a bye, of course. So uh, a well-rested team. Uh, they've got three wins over Nebraska by 30 or more points uh, since Nebraska moved to the Big Ten, and I don't see why Wisconsin can't continue that trend this year. Maybe by maybe not by 30, but definitely by close to four touchdowns. Well, the one thing I want to say is, uh, Nebraska fans, be patient. Scott Frost will have success at Nebraska, I think. And you could argue that he's stepping into a tougher situation in Nebraska than he did at Central Florida. Central Florida was coming off an 0-12 season, I know, when he got there. But they were a strong program and a fertile recruiting ground, and he didn't have to deal with the Nebraska expectations or the Big Ten schedule like he does at Nebraska. So a uh, much different situation for him. They're going to have success. It's not going to start this week, I don't think, though. Uh, Wisconsin's put up the most yards. Their, uh, three of their four foes have actually allowed. So the offense is moving the ball. You know about Jonathan Taylor. Uh, the defense is also stout, allowing 93 yards per game below their opponent's average. And you mentioned that by Wisconsin is brutal off a of bye. When you get them fresh, they're 10 and two off a of bye. And I think a big reason for that we've talked about it is those big boys on the offensive line. When they're healthy and fresh, they're really tough to deal with. 
So uh, Nebraska's ball hopes are pretty much done at this point, I think. So you got to think that Wisconsin's got a lot more to, to play for as far as just pure outright energy, and I think that Wisconsin will come away, like you said, more than three touchdowns in this game. Yeah, I mentioned about a four-touchdown game I'm expecting. And you know what? This line, interestingly enough, Chris, started off at 21 for Wisconsin. It's down to 17.5 at certain locations. So uh, there's great value there, in our opinion. Uh, I would be all over Wisconsin for this. I mean, coming off a bye, the offensive line versus defensive line is just a huge advantage there. And uh, Nebraska just still just trying to figure out who exactly they are under the new head coach, Scott Frost. Going to take some time. All right, now. Enough of the Power 5 talk for now. Let's go to the Group of 5 talk that we like to do. Uh, of course, we we're, we're going to talk about a game that has Commander-in-Chief trophy implications on the line. Navy 2-2, two and 1-3, two, and three, uh, going on the road to Air Force, just 1-3, and 2-1-1 one and one against the spread. Now, uh, you know, with this game, you... The the main thing and the and what most people most handicappers think about when you have an an army versus navy or an army versus air force or air force versus navy is well you got your two option teams they know each other very well there's not going to be many points scored you're going to take the under and that makes sense you do it every year especially in navy versus army uh, this game had gone under the ta- under under the total for I believe five or six straight years and then something happened last year navy. They they took a take, took a look at who Air Force's other option team that they play in the Mountain West, uh, New Mexico. They run a different type of option. They they don't run the traditional triple option. They run more of a zone spread option. Uh, Navy took those tendencies, used those against Air Force last year, and guess what, Chris? Those two teams combined for 93 points in last year's matchup. Well on the over, and I've got a feeling that Navy's going to mix. They're going to at least mix in both the the triple option with the zone option because Air Force does a very, very, very good job at defending that triple option de- uh, offense. They they defend it very well against Navy in the past. They do it against Army every year. So look for Navy to again implement some of those zone option strategies. When they do that, though, they're going to have to throw the ball more, which means that they're going to be they're going to have their best quarterback running threat Malcolm Perry is not going to be on the field because while Malcolm Perry is a dangerous runner and and uh, Niamatololo has said that he is probably the most dangerous runner that Navy's ever had in that quarterback uh, position he does not do well throwing the ball at, at all so Garrett Lewis is going to be in there taking some snaps from under center uh, from Malcolm Perry uh, Navy's other quarterback threat that they moved to wide receiver but he is their like goal line short yardage just physical physical uh Running running quarterback threat, Zach Aby, he's probably not going to play. He was hurt in his last game and not, and hasn't been practicing through their bye. So you're, they're probably going to be out two, uh, one quarterback in Aby who also plays wide receiver. Malcolm Perry not getting as many snaps as normal most likely because they're going, going to have to throw the ball. That's going to put Garrett Lewis on, uh, in the field. And uh, Air Force. They were without their quarterback, Isaiah Sanders, because of a concussion last week. Well, he's been back at practice. Expect to see Air Force uh, quarterback Isaiah Sanders in the game. And Navy, they're the favorite in this game at Air Force. I don't think that I don't think that's going to be the case, though. Despite them being the favorite, I like Air Force in this game to not only cover but to to win outright. And if I've got to go with a total, I know the total is gone under, 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 except for last year. I'm going to take a look at last year's outcome. And if i got to go with the total, I'm going with the over. 
Well, Air Force is off three, three straight losses by 10 points or less in all three. Uh, out for revenge this year after last year's game you mentioned. They were up 45-41 to 41 in the fourth quarter of that game, gave up the game-winning touchdown with 15 seconds left. But you mentioned the points, also the yards last year. Air Force, 621 yards against Navy, so they can definitely move the ball on them. Uh, the, the one thing that does concern me, I noticed, is Air Force's yards per carry this year have dropped a full yard from where it was last year, 5.8 to 4.8. That does kind of concern me a little bit. But the uh, injury to Isaiah Sanders could be could be the reason why, and that could mean they're going to be com- coming back and more explosive this week and better than a lot of people might give them credit for. Navy, again, against the spread, they're 0-4 in away regular season games. Uh, Air Force is a solid dog, 5-1 and is an, uh, a home dog. So I'm going to take Air Force here, like you said. I think this is a toss-up game for me. I'm not quite as confident as you in their ability to win the game, but I think this is a, another game that's going to come right down the stretch, much like last year. And again, I just want to remind you, 93 points scored in this game last year. Right now, the total's sitting at eh, anywhere between 48.5 and 49.5, so under 50. Uh, it's under 50 right now. I would definitely, if I was if I was going on this game with a total, it would be it would be over. All right. Well, we've got we've gone over the Power Five games. We went over our Group of Five uh, matchup. Uh, you know, we we had been successful giving away two stars out of our Power Sweep newsletter until last week. Sorry, everybody, that we gave away a loser. So we wanted to uh, do something different. We wanted to actually give away one of our three-star selections in Power Sweep uh, this week. And you know what? We went with a matchup that uh, we feel really, really, really good about. Uh, it's a marquee matchup in all of college football, uh, not just for us on the in the Power Sweep pages. It's two top 25 teams. Of course, I'm talking about LSU, undefeated, 5-0. and uh, three and two against the spread. They're going to the swamp, taking on the Gators, ranked number 22, four and one, uh, both straight up and against the spread. And uh, at Chris, you know, when I look at this, I just I, I look at Florida's run defense that is allowing just 110 yards per game, 2.6 yards per carry their last three. They held Tennessee's three-headed monster uh, running back attack of Jordan Chandler in London to just 3.5 yards a carry. They held Mississippi State's leading rusher, Kylan Hill, at just 41 yards. I like what I'm seeing out of this Florida rush D, and and I think that rush D is so important here because it's going to force LSU to use have to use Joe Burrow uh, to beat them. And while I like Joe Burrow, uh, you know he's an Ohio kid, obviously a transfer from Ohio State. He has shown a little bit of improvement as the season has gone along, but overall not real impressed with his completion percentage, 45% versus Miami. Uh, that was can be expected, I guess. They, that, that's our number 19th ranked uh, pass efficiency defense. But then 44% against Auburn, number 24 pass efficiency D. And then he completes his best game against Ole Miss, 72%. Uh, of course, that's our number 87 ranked pass D. So uh, Florida, they have our number 23 ranked pass efficiency D. So look for Burrow. If he, if he stays consistent in the 40% range like he did against Miami and Auburn, very similar pass Ds. I don't think you're gonna. I don't think you're gonna see um, Burrow be able to beat them. Also, this is the, this is Florida's lone home game at the Swamp in a six-week stretch. So I think they're gonna be really motivated to play here. Obviously, they're gonna be motivated. It's LSU, but uh, you know, being that they're gonna be home, this is their only only home game in a while. I think they want to give the fans something to cheer about. I look for Florida to come out on top in this one. 
Well, Florida is a rare home dog, which is kind of interesting to me. You don't often get Florida getting points in the swamp, so I think that adds some value to the Gators. They've only been a home dog once in this series since as far back as I could go, which was about 1979, and they actually won that game in 2012 outright as a three-and-a-half-point favorite. I believe they won 14-6. to six. Uh, Don't forget Dan Mullen knows LSU well, went 4-0 against the spread against the Tigers. Last year his Bulldogs beat LSU 37-7, so he knows how to play this team. He, he beat Orgeron last year. And another thing that I'm looking at is the improvement of the Florida defense over the last few weeks and why they've been been improved. And one of the big reasons is they've gotten a little healthier. Last year's leading tackler, David Reese, missed the first three games, came back against Tennessee. He's been back the last two weeks. And he's the, the, the key, the, the quarterback of the defense and the guy that makes them tick in that front seven. So having him back is a big deal. C.C. Jefferson, a guy they moved the buck linebacker from uh, defensive end, very talented guy, one of their top recruits in his uh, in uh, his senior class, and he missed the first two. He's back and playing well. So this is a Florida defense that's been improving. They're number 29 on defense, holding opponents to 89 yards below their average. And the Florida offense, Felipe Franks, He's made some plays this year. I don't love him, but uh, they do have a lot of playmakers in their, in their wide receiver group, including a couple transfers, uh, one from Ole Miss, Van Jefferson, uh, one from Ohio State, Trayvon Grimes. So they, they've got some playmakers to go along with the guys that were back from last year. And here's a name to look out for. They're leading rusher. They had all these guys coming back, Jordan Scarlett, uh, P. Ryan. Uh, Malik Davis last year, the guys that all contributed in the last two years for Florida at running back that had put up yards. Who's their leading rusher this year? It's a true freshman, Damian Pierce, and he's got 255 yards. How about 10.3 yards per carry? So if you get this kid in open field, he's tough to tackle. I, I could see him busting a big one for the Gators. He could be a game breaker for them. He's going to get more carries as the season goes. And I like the Gators to win outright here. I know we've talked about our Power Plays newsletter. Our Power Plays newsletter calls for Florida to have nearly a 100-yard edge in this game. And I think that's uh, that's a key uh, factor is Florida's ability to get some yards on this LSU defense. And I think the Florida's defense will take care of itself. Well, the line started at 3.5 for this game. And, and I think people are, are kind of under the same idea as you and I, Chris, because right now it's at 2.5. But still, 2.5 points. We think we think Florida's not even gonna uh, need him. So that's our three-star play given to you away, uh, absolutely free. Well, that's uh, that's the uh, the all the games that we're gonna talk about today. Uh, again, appreciate everybody joining us, and want you to know uh, if you wanna uh, see how our late phones are doing, wanna test them out. Mention the podcast. We will take ten dollars off any late phone package uh, that we ha- are offering this weekend. So again, call, mention the. Um, Mention the podcast, and we'll take $10 off any late phone package there. The phone number toll-free, 1-800-654-3448. If you guys have any questions uh, for next week's games or want to get in touch with Chris or I, you can always tweet at us. 
there's three Twitter handles you can use. You can use uh, the North Coast Twitter handle, which is NC Sports One. Uh, you can tweet at me, Castro's Kingdom. You can tr- uh, tweet at Chris, uh, at ChrisV160. So uh, numerous ways to get a hold of us. You got something, Chris? Yes. Also, I want to let our, our listeners know, if, if you haven't signed up for Power Sweep, if, you've, if you have no idea what it is and what the value is, Go on ncsports.com. All of our archived issues are on there. You can take a look at the kind of information and the kind of value that both both Power Sweep and Power Plays can offer you. You can also see, uh, you, you know, the, how, how we look at the games and how our picks go uh, in the last few weeks because our previous issues are on there. So if you're interested in uh, finding out and learning about what Power Sweep and Power Plays is and whether you want it or not. Definitely check out the archives on ncsports.com, and there's a lot of other good stuff on there, so uh, it might be a good idea to check that out if you're interested. Couldn't have said it better myself. All right, well, for uh, Chris Van Dyne, I'm Antonio Castro. Again, thank you, everyone, for listening to this week's edition of the Power Suite Podcast presented by North Coast Sports, and we'll talk to you again next week.